like to uh, just start in prayer, if I can, before uh, I preach. So let's pray. Father, it's good to be able to just gather as your people for a variety of things, the practices that we have, sharing communion, singing our prayers and worship, reading the scriptures, encouraging each other, giving expressions in different ways to the reality that you are not only here with us, but you're within us and you go between us. And I thank you, Lord, that your written word speaks today for those who seek. And I pray that as we seek you in the proclamation of this word today, that, Lord, you would speak deeply to our hearts and our minds. I thank you that you invite us to have renewed minds, to think in ways that are culturally different to our culture. And I thank you, Lord, that your word endures always, bringing and bearing fruit to the seed that is sown whenever and wherever it is scattered. And I pray today, Lord, for an abundant harvest in our lives and for your purpose and your will to be further outworked in our lives. Bless this time of sharing the word. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> in our last week, our lead pastor, Andrew Baker, uh, recognised that this year, it was actually last Sunday, is our 30th anniversary. Of, as a church, from uh, the seven of us who originally gathered in the living room in Garen in 1989. And he informed us that there'll be a special celebration acknowledging uh, the Father's goodness to us over the years in November, and something to look forward to, although I'm not sure how often I'll smile at that graphic of me coming up from bobbing apples in a bucket at a particular celebration we had, I think, 20 years in the past. But as a consequence of the 30th anniversary, I did a little bit of research during the week, and this is not the sermon, but it sort of is a lead into it. I did a little bit of research to ascertain the spiritual significance of the number 30. Some people believe that the numbers in the scriptures often has a significant have a significance. And... <clears throat> For example, one denotes unity and commencement. Two denotes difference. Think of double-minded. Three denotes completeness and resurrection. Ten denotes uh, ordinal perfection. Look up ordinal when you go home in the dictionary. Thirty three times ten, denotes divine perfection applied to order. And that leads me to suggest, not to suggest, I don't suggest, it leads me in faith to say to you clearly that in the coming year, I believe that we will be led into a deeper order of completeness and establishment of us as a church.
And in pondering the start of our church recently and what has enabled the Lord to shape us, one thing keeps coming to me when I ponder that, and that's simply this, the belief that the guidance of God is crucial and a defining characteristic of our lives. The corporate and the personal guidance of God. An example from our early years and the early life of our church for the first two or three years, because we were so small in number, we would make all our decisions by anyone who wanted to turning up to our place for a prayer meeting uh, to pray through and see what God said about the decisions we needed to make, about location, about outreach, about values, about things that were important. So it was all done corporately, not just from one person delivering it to everyone else. And I remember we had a, a guy who was in our church who's uh, the last I heard an elder in a spirit-filled church, Baptist church in Brisbane say to us, uh, he came along to the meeting and it was all unknown for him. Everything was new. He had been my insurance agent and we led him to the Lord uh, over coffee in uh, Deacon. And uh, he said to us, you know, we were pondering a particular thing and we're asking God for a scripture reading to give us leading and no one was getting anything. And he said, is there a book in the Bible by the name of Kings? And we said, well, there's two. Which one? He said, oh, said what it was and said the verses that we were to look at. And we went to it and it was exactly what we needed to hear. So here's a baby Christian leading people who've been Christians for a lot longer because that was the way that God was working in our lives at that time and is the way that I would anticipate he still works in our lives today. The importance of seeking the Holy Spirit's leading rather than relying on clever marketing programs or five-year plans has been paramount to us as a church. And time and time again, specific directions through inner witness and corporate confirmation of that witness has caused us to make uh, decisions that we would never have made otherwise. We have associated with certain groups and methods of ministering that we have adopted have come in to being way beyond what we would ever have imagined. Who would ever have thought has often been on our lips as we have seen the hand of the Lord moving in marvellous ways in the lives of ordinary folk. For example, I can remember saying to Drew just as he was shoving his wife's backside onto a moving train on a station in India, as we were doing a mission outreach there and teaching conferences amongst pastors. And he managed to get her onto the moving train. And just afterwards, I managed to reach out and grab Karen King's arm and hand and hurl her under or drag her onto the train. And I remember turning to Drew around then and said, who would ever have imagined? We got everyone on the train. It certainly wasn't going to stop until they got on the train. That has often been on our lips, that phrase, 
as we've seen the hand of God moving in miraculous ways and in marvellous ways in the lives of ordinary folk. I could give you an hour's dissertation of illustrations of the way God has guided us over the 30 years. Hence the title and focus of today's sermon, which I'm now starting, is Does God Guide Our Lives? Corporately. So would you turn to Luke 24? I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, verse 15 and 32. This is on the road to Emmaus. And it simply says in Luke 24, verse 15, As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. And verse 32, They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us? When we talked with us on when he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Or John twenty. Verse nineteen. On that evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Show. Show. And then Acts chapter 1. Verse 4. On one occasion when he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And then in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I would say to you very clearly today that the key for a corporate, in a corporate setting for a church, the key to guidance and to knowing what God is saying to us is prayer. It's the ability to pray. It's the ability to pray long. It's the ability to pray through the night as a group, which we did for a number of years at the start of the church. It's the ability to actually encounter God as you gather, corporately or personally. So let's get rid of some notions about prayer at the very start before we actually get into the concept of guidance. Prayer isn't a lightning rod that we use to save us from bad things happening. Nor is it bending God's will to ours. Rather, prayer is the bringing of our wills 
to God's will. You know, when you throw a boat, throw out a boat hook when you're sailing and you catch hold of a jetty or the shore, do we pull the shore to ourselves or do we pull ourselves to the shore? Prayer doesn't pull God to us. It pulls us to God. It aligns our will with his will so that he can do things through us that he would not otherwise have been able to do. An almighty will works through our weak wills and we find that when we follow his directions, we can do things way out of proportion to our abilities or our inclinations. Prayer is therefore not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his highest willingness. Taking notes, you should have noted that. Those who pray link up with what with that willingness. And in real prayer, our wills will coincide with his will. That is what we mean when we pray in Jesus' name. We mean the kind of prayer that he would pray. It's what we want to be praying. Prayer, of course, seems to have many sides. But really, there are only two sides to prayer. There's communion and there's commission. All the other phases are aspects of the two. You know, there are two heartbeats of a Christian's prayer life. And remember, a, to keep beating, a heart needs to beat in two directions. Or death in shoes. So if you have all communion without any commission, you'll have death. And if you have all commission, all doing, without communion, without fellowship with God, you will have death. But when you have communion and commission, you have life. In prayer, everything else flows out of those two things, the communion and the commission. So let's look at communion briefly. In the call of the disciples, they were th there were three things. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have authority to cast out devils. Firstly, to be with him, communion. Secondly, send forth to preach. And thirdly, to have moral, it's an old term, I would use spiritual authority. Commission. The communion, be with me. The commission, preach. Cast out demons. 
that first aspect, the call to be with him, if we hold that intact in our lives and in our prayer life, everything else will follow from that. Anyone who neglects communion will find the last two, the preaching and the spiritual authority, fading out in their lives. And also, if we neglect commission, the communion and the spiritual authority will die as well. Moral authority depends upon the other two things. The communion and the proclamation. And sadly, the history of many Christians is an empty closet, an empty heart, and empty hands. But if you read Luke chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, two separate incidents, one leading to the other, you'll see these words written, He withdrew into the desert to pray. And then a little later on in the passage, the power of the Lord was present to heal. The link, the prayer, precedes the power. Last week I prayed here for a young man who was disappointed with the free, that the frequency and clarity with which he was seeing godly visions had lessened. He asked me to pray for him and I simply said to him, I suggest that you put your smartphone to one side and sit quietly before God for 30 minutes at the start of every day because you have too much inner noise interfering with your spiritual eyes and ears. He looked at me. He nodded. Whether he did that during the week, I don't know. But if he had have done that during the week, I would guarantee that there would be a greater sense of God speaking to him through visions than what he had been experiencing. Then there is commission. In communion, we feel the hand of God in our lives, guiding us to do certain things. And the problem for many of us as Christians is we think, oh, we've got to do something. So we run helter-skelter trying to find things to do without actually spending the time before God finding out what the one or two things he wants us to do actually are. If we limit our understanding that being a Christian is only or primarily about going to church services, then there are great gaps in our lives where God functions very feebly or not at all. Guidance fills those gaps and makes us every moment responsible and alive to the next thing that God might be guiding us into. We can say that guidance brings God in from being the occasional God to being the continuous God in our lives. Every Christian and every church should lead a God-guided life. For because God is, 
then he should be in everything that concerns us, corporately and personally. Directing, controlling, inspiring. For example, last Wednesday night, I played social tennis. Surprisingly, it's at a court near my place. I walked down to it. Surprisingly, for the first time I've known, only one other player turned up. We uh, had a hit for about an hour, and two of the coaches came out and played with us, who ordinarily wouldn't, just to give us, seeing we're older, a little bit of help. Afterwards, the other social player asked if I wanted to go up to the local pub for a drink, and I had decided not to do that, hence I'd walked down, not driven. But I had an inner nod from the Holy Spirit. Go. So I agreed. I agreed to meet him up at the pub. And uh, I ran back to my house, realised how unfit I'd become, got in the car and went up to the, to the pub. Once we were seated, I asked him, and he's a man in his 50s, I would think possibly early 60s, I asked him how his week had been. And he looked at me. Tears welled up in his eyes and he said, my father passed away this week. So for the next half hour, with people coming and going in the pub, we sat and talked about some deep things. His father was a Vietnam vet. His father had been a very good man, a kind man, but had never proclaimed Christ, in fact, quite the opposite. And this man who I was talking to was a somewhat practising Roman Catholic. And so he asked me, do you think he's in heaven? And I said to him very earnestly and honestly, he knows what I do and he's asked me in the past different things. I said to him, well, two things. Firstly, the scriptures tell us that if you know Christ, you proclaim who he is and you acknowledge his name. But having said that, so my own understanding would be on that basis, there would be some question marks. But having said that, let me tell you that you never know what happens in the last minutes of a person's life. And I shared with him how I'd led some, uh, the husband of someone in this church many years ago who was a CSIRO scientist and quite a strong atheist to the Lord in the last half hour of his life. So I said, you never know. And I'm sure that when we get to heaven, we'll be surprised who is there and who isn't. Hoping that we get there. But see, if I hadn't listened to that inner nod, if there hadn't been a sense and an expectation in my heart and in my life that God speaks and guides every minute of the day that we're listening, if I hadn't have been attuned to that, if as a church we hadn't been attuned to the fact that God does speak to us today. And you know, that's revolutionary for a lot of Christians. That idea. That God's a part of everyday life. It's one of the appealing things about being in a spirit-filled church. Once the Holy Spirit grabs hold of you, 
That's when things start really happening in terms of the guidance of God. You know, it was a precious time on Wednesday night and I could see why no one else had turned up for tennis. If it wasn't just the two of us, the caring and the, and the sharing would never have happened. In other words, the commission would not have been there. And could the Lord have orchestrated all those events that no one else turned up? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if there had been anyone else there, we would not have gone where we went. The Christian that doesn't have this sense of guidance in his or her life is missing something vital. If you're sitting there and you don't believe that God can speak to you even through this sermon, you're missing something in your walk. We're missing something vital if we don't have that sense of God guiding us through every moment of our lives for mind you if you and I are not guided by God then we are guided by something else perhaps even dare I say it that you are guided by yourself and we all know that to be self-managed is to become self-damaged we are not good enough to really know all the circumstances and we don't know enough to guide our lives, ourselves, even though we might think we do. God must daily guide us. Give us this day our daily bread. So how does God guide us? This is really a series of sermons for another time. However, let me just mention eight ways that I can think of. So you should turn to someone and say, isn't it wonderful that we're not now starting an eight-point sermon? <laughs> he guides by circumstances and by what we see around about us in creation. He guides by enlightened Christian thinking, a renewed mind where our intelligence is touched by the things of God and the capacity that he has given us, even if we don't have a high IQ, can become significant in God. By the spoken and the written words of others. Ever had a letter that you needed to receive at just the right moment from a Christian friend? Ever had a text of a verse from someone that encouraged you at just the right moment? He also guides by having an intimate group of fellow believers who you've given permission to to speak in, into your life. which is, raises a question that's worth answering, who do you allow to speak into your life? 
And of course, very importantly, he guides us through the scriptures. And he also guides us by the inner voice of the Holy Spirit, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, etc., etc. And he also, I've learned, guides us by dreams and visions. I could tell you some beauties where God has clearly spoken and directed. And perhaps most importantly, he guides us through personal encounter. In other words, Jesus will come to us at various times and speak directly to us. It might be only one or two or three times in your life, but they will be times you never forget. It might be at conversion. It might be at a crucial decision where you're seeking after the things of God. But he comes and reveals himself to us. Just ask Paul what the Damascus Road was like. And so I want to conclude. You could turn to someone and say, it's a miracle, he's finishing quickly. I want to conclude on this Father's Day with a que two questions that are meant to challenge you, not condemn you. Does God personally guide you day by day? And in asking that, let me go back to something that I alluded to earlier. God does not look for lone rangers. He looks for people who are submitted within a Christian church to the leadership of the pastors of the church. And he encourages us to go and ask their advice and their perception. I can remember this when I left the Uniting Church. I, 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 um, I went to people who were in the Uniting Church who I had great difficulty with some of their positions of faith and practice, but they were still in positions of authority in God. And so I went to them and humbly asked their advice. It's an important aspect. If you want guidance in your life, make sure you're submitted. Coming up, submission means to come underneath and to lift up your pastors. That you're submitted within your local church. I'm submitted to our pastors. If I need help, I know who I'm going to be asking. If I need guidance, I know who I'm going to be asking. Not necessarily because I like them, although I do, but because of the role that they have. So I'm not talking about people who say, oh, God told me this, and they're off doing something stupid outside the relationship structures that God has set up, set up for us. So does God personally guide you day by day? And if so, can you provide an example from this last week? Amen. Would you like to stand?
just want to lead you in prayer as we close. For those of you who are visiting and for everyone else who knows this, we have a prayer team that's available if you would like prayer for anything this morning. Uh, you're welcome to come forward. Uh, the prayer team will come out at the end of this uh, prayer, this benediction, and they will pray for you for anything that you may want uh, to have prayer for. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us this day. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to guide us, both as a church and also as individuals. For those who are visiting today, I pray, Father, that your hand would continue to be upon them and that they would discover increasingly, Lord, the guidance that comes from your Holy Spirit. Father, help us to go deeper in our communion with you in prayer and in the activity of our commission of doing the things that you call us to do. And may we continue to exercise the spiritual and moral authority that you have bestowed upon your people. Father, I bless these folk, young and old, this day with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. May his presence rest and abide upon you this day and always. Amen.